Welcome to the teaching ministry of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Family Church in Ohioville, Pennsylvania. We pray you are challenged in your walk with the Lord through the following teaching. For more information about Christian Assembly Family Church or to subscribe to our free podcasts, please visit us on the web at cafamily.net. We're talking about servanthood this morning. This is lesson number two. Uh, actually, we began at the beginning of the year just talking about our need to prioritize our lives because this could be the year that Jesus comes. This could be the fall feast that Jesus comes in clouds of glory. We're all caught up out of here. He can come at any moment. We want to be prepared because heaven is a prepared place for prepared people, right? Then we talked about walking in the fear of the Lord. And if we fear God, we're going to prioritize our lives. We talked about humility. We've got to humble ourselves before God and fear him and prioritize our lives and be ready for his coming because he's coming soon and we know that. But then we also talked about servanthood last week. And just a few things just to review quickly. We said servanthood is for every child of God. If you've been born again, you're a child of God. Then each and every one of us has been called to service, servanthood, to serve the Lord. We also said it's the way that God's work is done on this earth. How is his work going to be accomplished if he doesn't have people serving him, carrying out his work upon the earth? So that's absolutely necessary. It's also essential to spiritual growth and development. Jesus came as a servant and we're to grow up into him in all things. If he was a servant, then we have to grow up and be a servant like he was. And then also we said that it's a reason for spiritual gifts. We've all been given spiritual gifts and the reason for those gifts is so that we can serve others with those gifts and impart to them the things that God uh, has given us to give. And then finally we said it's also preparation for eternity because you and I throughout eternity are going to serve the Lord. And we saw that in the book of Revelation. We do plan on that, right? For the rest of our lives throughout eternity, we'll be serving the Most High God. Okay, also then in Philippians chapter 2, we talked about how Paul said we have to have the mind of Christ. He said, let this mind be in you that was in Christ. Well, if we're going to let this mind be in us that was in Christ, what was the mind that was in Christ? He went on to say, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be called equal with God, made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant. He went from the form of God When he came to the earth and took on the form of what? A servant. And as he took on the form of a servant being made in the likeness of men, he became obedient to death, even the death of the cross. So notice as he came to the earth in the form of a servant, he was obedient. He showed his love for his father by being obedient, an obedient servant, carrying out the father's will, even though it took him to the cross. And because he did this, God highly exalted him and gave him a name above every other name. Now, as we continue our study today, I want to emphasize the fact that love then, if we really love God, do you love God this morning? If we love God from those scriptures, we're going to obey him and we are going to serve him. If you love God, Jesus said that love is demonstrated in, lo- in obedience and in service. So look at John's gospel, chapter 14. These are the words of Jesus. Verse 21, he that hath my commandments and keepeth them. Notice the two things. You've got them. You know them, and you keep them. He it is that loves me. He that loves me shall be loved to my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So the two things there we have to have is commandments and keep his commandments. And that proves our love for him. So, for example, do we know what the Ten Commandments are? For example, just the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. What are the first four? They deal with our relationship with God. What are the last six? They deal with social relationships on the earth. I should know them. Wouldn't you say? Love fulfills all the law. So the law with all the commandments are fulfilled in love. 
So if I love God, number one, no other gods, he's number one. Number two, no images of any other gods. Number three, don't use his name in vain. Number four, go to church. Keep the Sabbath day holy, right? Simple, four things. Not too hard to ask, right? Four things, he said, in our relationship with him. If I love him, I'm going to do that. But then also, if I love him, he said, number six, honor your parents. Don't commit murder. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. And don't covet, right? Those are the last six. So you've got those 10 commandments. And if we love him, we will know them and we will keep them. Isn't that what Jesus said? Our example is Joseph. Remember Joseph? Back in the book of Genesis. Potiphar's wife wanted him to commit adultery with her. And what did he say? How can I do this and sin against number one, God. And number two, Potiphar, your husband. So he demonstrated his love for God by not just knowing the commandment, but keeping the commandment. Now what did Jesus say at the end of that same verse in John 14, 21? If you have my commandments and you keep them, you show your love for me and I will manifest myself to you. In other words, there is a greater manifestation of the love of God in the person's life who makes a decision to know, honor, and keep his commandments. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? Okay, but that's obedience. But number two, love also serves. Look again in John's gospel, and this is chapter 21. Love also serves. How many remember that Peter denied Jesus three times? Mm -hmm. Of course, his life was in danger, and we understand that, but he denied Jesus three times. Well, after he was raised from the dead, Jesus went to Peter and said to Peter these words. So then when they had dined, Jesus saith unto Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? Notice the question, do you love me? more than these. He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, these are his serving orders. Do what? Feed my lambs. In other words, if you love me, demonstrate that love by serving me and feeding my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my sheep. He saith unto him third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said to him, Lord, you know that all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said unto him, feed my sheep. In other words, love for God is demonstrated in obedience. And it's also demonstrated in what? Servanthood or service. So demonstrate your love for me by serving me and doing what I'm asking you to do. Now, Peter was saved at this time, but he wasn't all that sanctified. Because <laughs> look on further down in, in John's Gospel, chapter 21, and look at what he does. Peter then seeing him, that is John, who wrote the Gospel, seeing, saith to Jesus, Lord, what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? Follow thou me. Notice how not too sanctified, Peter is now looking in John's business and asking Jesus, well, what's he going to do? And Jesus basically said, if I can just say it this way, that's none of your business. You do what I've asked you to do, and that's all you need to do. And don't be concerned about what somebody else does. You'll be obedient to show your love for me by doing what I've asked you to do, and that'll suffice. 
Now, Brother Dave just talked about Paul on the Damascus Road. And if you go with me to ask Acts chapter 9 and verse 6, notice Paul asked Jesus two questions on that Damascus Road. Two questions. Now, first of all, before we even read this, remember he was a religious zealot? He was Saul of Tarsus, a religious zealot. He was, in his own words, a Pharisee of the Pharisees. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Uh, considering the law, he was blameless, he said. So he was a religious zealot. He set out to do what? Destroy Christianity. He hated Christ. He hated Christians. He's going to destroy Christianity. He's got papers in his hands. He's going to throw people in prison. He's going to kill them. And guess what? Jesus appears to him. First question, who art thou, Lord? Answer, I'm Jesus, the one you're persecuting. Second question, what will you have me to do? Servanthood. Think about that. What do you want me to do? Isn't that a question we all should ask him? Because if we love him, we'll obey him. If we love him, we'll serve him. But look, look how quickly Paul, Saul of Tarsus, who became Paul, went from persecuting him to proclaiming he's the son of God. Serve me. <clears throat> what can I do to serve you? We're all called to serve God. In this next section, I call it wise eyes for a reason. In Proverbs chapter 3, in verses 7 and 8. Now, if you're not familiar with the first 10 verses of this text, this first 10, the first 10 verses of this text offers to us five seeds, five wonderful seeds that produce five wonderful fruit in our lives. The fruit of long life, the fruit of favor with God and man, the fruit of guidance and directions through life, the fruit of health, and the fruit of financial assistance. Those five seeds. In verses 7 and 8, let's look at those verses. Be not wise in thine own eyes. This is the first part that I really want to emphasize. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord, depart from evil. It'll be health to your navel and marrow to your bones. In other words, what is he saying? A person can be wise in the way he thinks things should be, the way he looks at things, the way he sees things. But how many of you know that God has a better perspective than what we have? He sees things from a different perspective. He has a better vantage point in seeing all things because he knows all things. We're not to be wise in the way we see things and the way we live our lives and conduct ourselves. A wise man will look at the way God wants us to live and do what he's called us to do. So we go to the book of Genesis in chapter 3 and verse 6. And what we do is we discover this, Eve's eyes. In other words, her look, what she was looking at. Look what we see here in Genesis 3, verse 6. And when the woman saw... When she saw, and this is important, what did she see? She saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. She took of the fruit thereof and did eat and gave also to her husband with her, and she did eat. Now, before she did this, she was loving God and serving God in the garden. And why wouldn't she? She's in the Garden of Eden. Did you ever look up what life might have been in the Garden of Eden? Oh, it was wonderful. Perfect place. Wonderful place. She's clothed and arrayed in glory. She's got the highest position of authority with her husband on the earth. There's no sin, no sickness, no disease, no mental anguish, no termites, no bugs, no mice, nothing of that nature. The climate is absolutely beautiful. No sub-zero weather. No high humidity. Perfect. 
a perfect place, perfect position. As a matter of fact, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, as far as she was concerned, wasn't even in her consciousness. Because she's just living life, and who wouldn't want to? It's a beautiful place. All the food they ever wanted was right there for them. All the trees, the fruit-bearing trees, they, 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 you didn't eat animals then. You didn't eat steak or anything like that. It was all plants and vegetables and fruits. Perfect everything. No sorrow, no sighing, no crying, no dying. Perfect relationship with Almighty God. She could sit and talk with Him in the cool of the day. Perfect relationship with her husband because there was no selfishness whatsoever in that marital relationship. A lot of time on her hands, there were no kids at that time. Okay? Beautiful. Perfect. Her eyes are focused. Unconsciously, you know what she's doing? Obeying the Word of God. Showing her love for God by obeying Him and serving Him. And what was it that she was doing? It's found in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 17. This is what she was unconsciously obeying. This Word of God. Let's read it. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat thereof. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely what? Die. So after she got told that, she was just having a wonderful time. What need is there for that? There's no need for that. She has all that she's ever needed, all that she could ever possibly wanted. Period. Perfect place. Right? But something happens. Satan gets her eyes to shift from all that to one little tree. Let's read it. Genesis chapter 3, 4 and 5. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God knows that in the day that you eat thereof, then your eyes shall be open, and you'll be as God's, knowing good and evil. And what did that next verse say? And when she saw, her attention and focus was taken away from all this to, hmm, is there something more? Is there something greater? Is there something better? Then what I already have, is God holding back something from me? It's mindless, but apparently she must have thought there was. Before I further explain, let me just say this. What we look at in this life is so important. What we look at, we could be wise in our own eyes, or we can fear the Lord and depart from evil. She became wise in her own eyes. And all of a sudden, her focus and attention was on this one thing. But before I get to that, let me show you that what we look at is extremely important. And the way we see things is extremely important. In the book of Numbers, chapter 21, verses 7 through 9, uh, if you know the story that the Israelites were in sin, when they were sin, snakes or serpents were sent among them. Many were being bitten by the snakes, serpents, and they were dying. They cried out to Moses and said, Moses, do something. Appeal to God to change the situation, to stop this from happening because people are dying left and right. Of course, they appealed to Moses and Moses appeals to God. And here's what happens. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned. We have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone who is bitten when he what? When he what? When he looks upon it shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass, put on a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld or looked at the serpent of brass, 
he lived. What that person who was bitten looked at made the difference between life and death. And the word look at and the word behold, it means to gaze at, not just to a gla- not glance by it. It means with a, look at it attentively, expectantly, with a steady, absorbing gaze. So our look will determine whether or not we overcome the serpent's bite. We look at that serpent's bite. We look at a sickness or a disease and exalted above the things of God. It depends on what we look at. We need to stay focused on the word of God and what it says, even when we're bitten by the serpent's bite. Number two, and we find this in Matthew's gospel, chapter 14, a storm of life comes to all of us. And once again, Dave talked about that for a bit this morning. Peter's out there walking on the water and he said, come. And Peter was come down out of the ship. He walked on the water to go to Jesus and a miracle was set in motion. But when he saw, when he what? When he saw, didn't he see that before he stepped out of the boat? When he saw the wind boisterous, which he had to see before he stepped out of the boat, right? He was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried saying, Lord, save me. So we see here that Peter walking on the water sets in motion miracle working power. But then when his focus, his eyes, his look was on the circumstance, he became victim to the storm. Thank God that Jesus was there to bail him out and pull him up. But the point is, our look can make the difference between life and death. Our look can, be de- can determine whether or not we overcome the storm that we face in this life. And then also there's a third one, and it's found in the book of Hebrews chapter 12. See, what we look, are we wise in our own eyes? Are we going to do what he said to do, which is to look, look a certain way, look at things a certain way, look at your life a certain way. We all have a life to live here upon the earth. And in the book of Hebrews chapter 12, we're running a race. Look at what it says. Two things pointed out here for us to behold. A twofold thing that we're looking at. Number one, wherefore seeing we, notice the word wherefore, wherefore, because of what I just said. Because of all that I just said, what did he just say? In Hebrews chapter 11, we have what is called the Faith Hall of Fame. We have all these people that lived their lives before us and before them. All those people like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and Sarah. Men like Daniel, David, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. All these people that lived their lives. Rahab the harlot. You know, and the list goes on and on. And they are in the grandstands of heaven. Seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, all these witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that so easily besets us and let us run our, with patience the race that is set before us, looking, looking, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. So what he is saying is this, as we live our lives here upon the earth, we could be wise in our own eyes. We could look at things the way we want to look at things. Or we can look at things the way he tells us to look at things. When you live your life for Christ on this earth, you will be challenged along the way. There will be storms along the way. There are going to be certain bites, serpents, bites along the way. And it's up to us to look to the provision. It's up to us to look to the word. Come. It's up to us to look all those that have gone on before us. Notice he points out those that are in the grandstands of heaven. We can also say this, you can either look at rich man or Lazarus. Lazarus in comfort, the rich man is being tortured and tormented in a place of suffering. If we get weary in our walk with Christ, look at those two things. Look 
at all those that have lived for Christ and now they're being rewarded in glory. They have served him all the days of their lives and they're being rewarded. Look to Jesus who lived his life as a servant for you and for me and praise God he's seated in the highest place in the universe. I want to show us Satan's strategy because I don't want us to get our eyes off the wrong thing. Our eyes should be on the prize of the high calling of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. In 1 John chapter 2, Notice in 15 through 17 what it says. The apostle John speaking. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, notice the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passes away, and the lust thereof but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Notice the word lust. It means a strong desire for something. When Eve saw that tree, she had a strong desire for something more than what she was experiencing in life. Before I go there again, look at James chapter 1. Notice the word lust. You see something and you lust for it or you have a strong desire for it. Okay, let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God, for God tempts no, God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempted he any man. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own what? Lust. A strong desire for something and enticed. Then when lust has conceived, it brings forth sin, and sin when it's finished brings forth death. She went from loving and serving God and just having a wonderful time in the perfect place, arrayed in glory, perfect position, perfect husband, perfect environment, perfect weather, perfect food, perfect everything, to being drawn to one thing, and because of her lust for something, because of the devil putting in her thought life, there's something more out there. What does she do? She's enticed. She's drawn toward that, and it seems like everything that's here, all the wonderful things that God has provided for them, no longer does she see it. She sees something else. She became wise in her own eyes, didn't fear the Lord, didn't depart from evil, and what happened? Satan took her down the pathway to death. And open up the door to all the destruction that we experience here in this life today. Well, we're dealing with it right now. Every one of us. Because of her decision not to serve God. She went from loving God and serving God to loving self and serving self. Now, why is that important message today? The day in which we live? Let me tell you why. There are so many distractions in the world today. That take God's people away from serving him and there's such enticement just to serve yourself to love and serve yourself and not to love and serve God remember love for God is obedience to his commandments love for God is manifested in service or servanthood serving him with our lives Amen. and think about it for serving him look at all that she had and all that she forfeited all that we could have and people can forfeit if they don't serve God. So look at these verses in Titus. What are we to look at to stay focused? What are we to look at today as we live our lives 
for the Lord. There are so many distractions, like I said. You know what? You can see it subtly just entering into the church. I mean, we've gone from, you'd have services all the time throughout the week to where off, sometimes in some cases barely just making a church service. Why? Because it's too inconvenient. Because we've got all these other obligations, all these other responsibilities. You heard me say this before. I'd love to go back to the blue law. Let's close down everything on, on Sundays once again and just let everybody go to church and love on God. That way you're not tempted. No sports activities, none of those things, no work, no malls open and all that sort of thing. Just close it down. Sunday, just give it to the Lord just like Chick-fil-A. <laughs> go ahead. Thank the Lord. Because guess what? If that were the case, you wouldn't have to be having to be saying, I got to get out of here. You can't even buy gas or milk. There might be one drugstore open, but who knows where it's at? Nothing to do. Are you seeing my point? So while we're living our lives on this earth, we can be easily distracted and gravitate towards things that take us away from Loving and serving God through obedience and servanthood. Can you see that? And we put everything else, including sporting activities. You know, I'll tell you what, I've seen it happen over the years. You know, way back when, back in the day, we didn't have all this stuff. It seems like every Wednesday night they have to have something that's going on, sporting activity. And it comes to Sunday now, we've shifted everything over, even Sundays, all the activities on Sundays and all that. Very subtly, all this is doing what? Taking away from our focus on loving and serving God. Okay, so look at Titus and look at what it says. For the grace of God that brings, what are we to look at? We're talking about, this is the question we want to answer. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men teaching us. What does grace teach us? It doesn't teach us just to go live the way you want to live. It teaches us denying ungodliness and worldly lust. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly when in this present world looking Looking, everybody say looking. Looking for that blessed hope and glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify to himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority and let no man despise thee. Okay, so let's put this in context here. What are we to be looking at and looking for? The return of Jesus. Remember that video, video we showed you of the man with his Bible in his hand saying, you know, Jesus can come and he, boom, everybody was gone. Just like that. Raptured out just like that. That's how quickly he can come. And what he's saying is this. It's, 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 you're supposed to live your life, even though he may not come tonight, he may not come tomorrow, but we're supposed to live our lives in such a way so that we're looking as if he were to come tonight before you go to sleep. Every single day we're looking for his coming. If we're looking for his coming to be today, it's going to move us to do what? Deny ungodliness and worldly lust and live sober, righteous, and godly. Okay, sober is your duty to yourself. Be sober. Righteous is your duty to your fellow man. Godly is your duty to God. We're to every day recognize that, you know what? He can come today. He can come this hour. He can come tomorrow morning. Am I ready? Am I prepared? Am I wise by 
seeing it the way he wants me to see it. And you know what? It's never been near than it is today. We're talking about 70 years since Israel became a nation in 1948. Over 70 years now. And if it's true that that's the generation, you realize it's coming to an end. And it could be any moment, at any hour, any time right now that he's going to pierce the clouds of glory and he's going to come in the sky. The graves are going to open. The dead in Christ are going to rise. And we that are alive will be changed in the twinkling of an eye and be caught up and meet him in the air with all of our family members and friends that have gone on before us. In other words, that's supposed to be something that we're looking at. We should get up in the morning. It could be today. Praise God, it could be today. So I better get it right. Deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Can you see that? That's what we should be doing, every one of us. All right, but then secondly, also, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verses uh, 16 through 18, I believe it is. For, for, this is another verse that tells us what we should be looking at. For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things seen, which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Okay, what are we to look at? Things that are not seen, not things that are seen. It is so easy for us to have our eyes on things that are seen. The things that are seen, he said, the outward man is perishing. I know we don't like to use the terminology or the word. We want to say we're maturing, but in actuality, your body is aging. Your body is aging. It's growing older. Yes, it's maturing. It's a polite way of saying we're headed toward the grave. (laughs) Is this not true? So why are we looking? I'm going to be so buff. Uh, when you're bu- dust, we'll see how buff you are when you're in the dust. <laughs> and we work so hard to be this in the natural. He said, that's fine if you want to bodily exercise profits for a little while, but only for a little while while you're on the planet. But trust me, even when you get to the ripe old age that you know you're going to be someday, it's not maybe as important that you be so buff. All right. The outward man is perishing. We know that. And our light affliction is but for a moment. Someone might say, but look, it's so hard to be a Christian. It's so hard to walk with God. I'm standing against my fleshly desires. Remember we said the lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. I know that. We know that. But our light affliction is but for a moment. It's only a moment of time when you compare it to the backdrop of eternity. So yes, we have to resist the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. If she would have done that, we wouldn't have been here. We'd be all in the glorified state, praise God Almighty. When we get to heaven, we're going to talk to her and to him. Right? Ladies, you better be a first in line. You wouldn't have any pain in childbearing. None. None of that would have been. But we're not to look at the fact that, okay, we're going to maybe suffer some persecution along the way. We're going to deny our flesh like Paul said. I've got to deny my flesh. I've got to put it under. And my fleshy desires, I've got to put under. I crucify my flesh. Lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, and pride of life. Okay, don't look at that. Because that 
cannot be compared to the eternal weight of glory that you and I will experience when we get on the other side. So this is temporal. That is eternal. What's eternal? Your spirit man is not aging. Get it buff. Buff up that spirit man of yours, praise God. Feed on the word of God. Be strong in the Lord in the power of his might. Can you see that? Hallelujah. Take the whole armor of God. Get it on the inside. Get your spirit men just bright and shiny. Serving God faithfully. Because the eternal way to glory is eternal. So look, when you look at that and you say, why do I serve God the way I serve God? Because of these things. I'm sowing in my life things that are eternal. And what am I doing? I'm resisting things that are temporal. So our obedience and service to God is eternal and gives us eternal rewards. But it's so easy to be distracted in our society today. Okay, so in conclusion, look at this in Romans chapter 12. Because it begins, servanthood begins with self. I want you to see this verse in this light. Servanthood begins with self. I beseech you, strong word, I beg you, Paul was saying, I beg you. Therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable what? What is it? Where service begin? Where servant, servanthood begin? By me presenting my body to God like Paul did on the Damascus road, what would you have me to do? What would you have me to do? I love you. You saved me by your grace. You saved me from an eternity of the lake of fire. I'm yours. What can I do for you? How can I serve you? Start with this. He says, dedicate your body to my service. Live for me. That's number one. And be not conformed to this world because the world has the lust of the flesh, eyes, and pride of life, right? But transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So what is the good, perfect will of God? That we have the mind of Christ, which is the mind of a servant. So since he had the mind of the servant, he came in the form of God. He took on the form of a servant. Then you and I are servants of the most high God. Paul said, I am his servant, which meant I am his love slave. I love him so much for saving me by his grace I'm committed to serving him all the days of my life. When I first got saved, I'm telling you something right now. When I first got saved, I should say before I got saved, I did not like going to church. Did not. When I got saved, if the doors were open, I was in the pew. You couldn't keep me out. What happened? My, my eyes got refocused. Something became more important to me than anything else. And that was what? Pleasing God serving God, loving God. So five things I have listed here. Number one, we've all been called to serve. We are all servants of the most high God. And that's what I want to instill within all of our hearts and minds. We're not here to serve ourselves. We're here to serve the living God. And someone might think, well, God's so selfish that he wants my attention. He wants me to serve him in certain ways. Really? He saved you from an eternity of a lake of fire and last I checked, eternity is pretty long. So I belong to him. My body belongs to him. As a matter of fact, he purchased my life. What? Know you not? Paul said that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which you have a God and you're not your own. Therefore glorify God in your body 
and your spirit, which are God's. You've been redeemed, not corruptible things like silver and gold, but by the blood of the lamb, as a lamb without spot, without blemish. We've been purchased and we belong to him. Our bodies belong to God. Our spirits belong to God. Our souls belong to God. What we choose to do with them is up to us. But he says, I want you to serve me out of love. Not that he's going to force us, but I want you to serve me out of love. Because you love me, serve me. Become a servant. We're all called. Number two, our motive is our love for God. That's why we should do it. We love him. And I just want to serve you, Lord. I want to do whatever it is you, you have me to do. Number three, we're all empowered to serve. You think about divine enablement. If he's calling me to serve him, he's going to give me something to serve him with. Remember, Peter said, as a good steward of the manifold grace of God, as you've received the gift, even though minister the gift one to another as a good servant or a steward of the manifold grace of God, whatever he imparts, use it to serve him with. And remember Peter and John experience. He said, Peter, feed my sheep. In other words, pastor my people from when they're little all the way through. What about John? Well, what's it to you, Peter? John's going to do what I tell him to do. He'll serve me the way I want him to serve me. So we all have something different to do, according to Jesus. Whatever it is he's equipped you to do, do it. Number four, there are many ways to serve God. There are many different ways in which we can serve God. We can serve him one good way is in the local church. There's no question about that. You can serve him in a local church. Matter of fact, we have a table set out there right now. How many, Brother Will, are out there? How many forms? There are 14 forms out there. You can just, if you'd like to know what you can do. Someone can usher. Someone can be a greeter. Someone can work in a nursery. Someone can work with a child. Someone can play a musical instrument. Someone can play or, or, or sing. Someone can do this, do that. There are a bunch of things that can get you connected in your service for God. Doesn't mean you have to serve here in the church, but you can. And there are many ways that you can do that. Um, that's how the work of God is done. You can also serve outside the church. We're wanting to put together for, like I said, a parking lot ministry, but we haven't had the help to do that. We've been wanting to put together um, some small groups as well where people can gather together on a different night and just come together and, and go over some truths and have some interaction with each other. Uh, small groups where you, know, you can go over certain uh, teachings and that sort of thing and just interact with other people. But there are many things to be done, many ways in which to serve God. And finally, the last one, we all have something to offer. We all have something to offer. You know, you might look at yourself and just say, I don't have a whole lot to offer, but you do. God has given you something that you can use to his honor and glory. You, you heard me say last week, I vowed never to speak in front of people ever again. That was in 1978. No, I'm sorry, 1976. It was before that even. It was when I was at Youngstown State University. <laughs> so that would have been 16. Oh my goodness, what year are we living in? <laughs> Heavens. That was in 1969, 70. 1970. I made a vow. I will never, ever, ever speak in front of people ever, ever again. And I was proud of that decision. Because I was shaken like a leaf in front of all those people in my class. And there were only a few people in the class, maybe about 10, 12. And I'm just shaking, doing a report. And that was it. I hightailed it out of there. I dropped the class and I vowed never to speak in front of people ever again. Yeah. 
Whatever God calls you to do, he'll equip you to do. You realize that? He'll, he'll be the one to anoint you, to appoint you, to equip you to do it. So we've got those sheets out there to show you how you can get involved. You can get involved by making phone calls for Bridges for Life Ministries. You can get in involved, like I said, working in the nursery, helping out. We're putting security team together. You can help out in that area. Uh, just be a part of uh, that, that group of people that are just going to be here to help out, to see to it that the place is safe and secure. They're going to assist the angels of God. Amen? The angels are going to be here. We know that. But they're going to be there also to assist. Uh, but there's 14 different ways you can serve here at the church. And I'm sure there's other ways. Uh, Brother Jim D., you've got Fellowship of Christian Athletes, and you've got how many people coming? Young people that are coming into school just to give their hearts to Jesus and learn about the things of God. That's one way to serve the body of Christ upon the earth. But we've all been called to serve. Amen? So you're a servant of the Most High God. And if we love Him, we'll obey Him. And if we love Him, we'll serve Him. Amen? Let's all stand together before the Lord.